You're listening to A Not-So-Private Practice, and we are your hosts, Steph and Laura. Consider this your backstage pass to all the weird and wonderful things that happen behind the curtain of group practice ownership. So today we're going to be talking about our journeys of learning to lead as the owners and clinical directors of Shoreline Counseling. Steph, do you remember how early on our guidepost was really just to do the opposite of all the bad leadership we had seen? Totally. It's like something would come up. We would talk about it. We would be like, what does our experience teach us about this? And then we'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, let's just do the opposite, right? So we opened our practice in 2019 and were figuring out what it meant to be directors of the practice. And it was such a confusing time. I mean, we were working really hard to avoid pitfalls that we had seen in leadership from previous experiences. And I think we got, I don't know what you think, Steph, but I think we got a little rigid around it. It was like, how can we, let's make rules and lines that ensure we don't make the mistakes that we've seen in the past. Yeah, we became so rigid, I think, because we were so scared of doing the things that were so familiar to us. Right. You know, it's like we had this experience of leadership that was really familiar and really bad. Right. And so I think we felt like if we created rules and parameters that governed our leadership, then we wouldn't have to, we wouldn't run the risk of falling into those same pitfalls. Yeah, exactly. I mean, to our credit, it was like, this is so familiar, we might accidentally replicate it. So let's just be, you know, really left-brained about how we're approaching leadership. But then, you know, some things I know we look back on and they're certainly not how we would do them today. Yeah, because there's pitfalls to that too, right? The pitfalls of being so rigid. I think about one particular example with one of our early clinicians. Yeah. We had brought uh, them on to our team and they were new to us. We were new to them. And, you know, there were some struggles sort of right out of the gate, struggles with retention. There were some concerns from clients. There were things that were serious and we had to take pretty seriously. But I think we were in such a rigid mindset at the time Mm -hmm. that, you know, our approach was like, we have to get her to do it our way or this like right way Yes, in order for, you know, in my mind, catastrophically speaking, it was like in order for this whole thing not to come tumbling down. Yeah. I mean, we we had just opened. And so I remember having this fear that if the work she's doing is creating some feedback that's going to reflect poorly on our business, that felt terrifying. And so the anxiety and the energy around like, how do we correct her? How do we get her behaving in a way that's a good reflection of us was sort of driving the ship rather than a slower, more thoughtful approach, which we'll we'll get into later. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that time, but I look back on that and I think that's one of our first big failures. You know, I think I, we I agree. we failed her in, yes. you know, her development with us. And I feel sad when I think back on that. Yeah, me too. Now and, you know, feel proud of the growth that has come, but you know, I would say that was a bit of a reckoning moment for us when we came to realize that like this strategy of just leading 
by avoiding the things that were scary to us was actually just not going to be effective. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to say a little bit about what happened just to contextualize it. We gave feedback about our concerns, but I think the feedback was really focused on this is what needs to change in order for this to be a fit for you and us, rather than how can we better support you in finding whatever you need to really be your best clinical yeah. self. And and I don't know, but I think the way it came across probably felt pretty critical and sure hard for yeah. this person. So yeah, I look back, it's one of those early leadership lessons where it's like, okay, this is this trying to avoid mistakes can ironically create a kind of vibe that is so sharp on the edges that people get hurt or yeah. we get hurt in the process. Yeah, which ultimately ends up having the opposite effect of like what it is that we're trying to protect. You know, I think that experience was the real beginning of a pretty intentional journey for us. I think, you know, we caught it relatively quickly. I think after that, it mm. felt so, I don't know about you and my body, it just felt so yucky, that whole thing. And, yeah. you know, I think it set us on a different trajectory um, that really required us to be more um, intentional in our decision-making and to, like, really do an audit of, like, what mattered to us and, yeah. like, what values what were going us. to guide us. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think I do a lot of leading of clinical groups and... One of the best things I was ever taught when I was learning to lead was that often the, you know, quote unquote problems in the group are a reflection of a dynamic in the leadership team. And so I was taught early on, whatever you think is going awry in the larger system, start first with the leadership team. Like, how might this be uh, mirroring a similar dynamic inside the individual or inside the relational dyad. And that has served me so well over the years, you know, to rather than look at clients and be like, gosh, why are they doing this or that? It's like, okay, what do I need to notice in myself? And how can we shift here to create an atmosphere that's going to support the kind of productive work that we want? And I think you and I have really adopted that. Totally. As directors. Yeah. I mean, and I, you know, what I know about working in groups is that, you know, as Laura said, you know, it requires us as leaders to look within ourselves and to see the impact that we are having on the group because the goal is to empower the group members to show up in their own authenticity. Yeah. And so when we as leaders are standing in the way of that, whether it be our rules or our rigidity or our fears, you know, then that can't happen. And yeah. I think that was a huge takeaway from this example with this clinician was that it was like, oh, when we start to look within ourselves and start to see all the areas that we are limiting ourselves potentially, we are impacting the potential in how they show up. Yeah, we're limiting them. We are. As well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, some funny things happen, though, when you're inviting authenticity yeah. from a large group of people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, if we are as leaders creating this like rigid structured environment that is hyper-professional, you know, our clinicians are showing up hyper-professional yeah. and there's a part of themselves, a more authentic part of themselves that they are not managing. bringing or yeah. managing. And when we are creating space to like negotiate how much of ourselves we can bring appropriately into the work that we do, we also watch them negotiate. negotiate. That That's right. Yes. You know, like with our former intern and his shoes. Yeah, yeah. That's what comes to mind for me too. I'm thinking about this 
funny metaphor, but real life example where one of our interns came to work one day without shoes. I saw him kind of puttering down the hallway in his socks. And we went into supervision and talked about this line quite a lot of the authentic self coming forward and uh, even the self at worst coming forward and all that and his embarrassment about forgetting his shoes. And then we left the room and ran into you, right? Yeah, I was standing in the hallway and I looked at you and said, Laura, why does your intern not have shoes? And he was pretty mortified. He was mortified. He yeah. was pretty mortified. And Wait, I just spent an hour trying and- <laughs> to temper the level of embarrassment he was feeling. Yeah. Sort of seems like role appropriate for how things work in our office. Um, you know, and we all had a bit of a good laugh about it. But I think, you know, as we've reflected on it more and more and more examples have come up, it's like, yeah, this space, we have worked so intentionally to create space where we invite them to like muck around with the parts of themselves that are professional and helpful and welcome and invited both in our community and in the clinical work. Yeah. And, you know, this is just like a little bit of a misfire. Yeah. I mean, to do that in an authentic way. And we want them yeah. to be at as much at ease in themselves as possible. And sometimes when you get a little too relaxed, you forget your shoes. You forget your shoes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. So this like negotiating dynamic, we watch it unfold constantly between our clinicians and us, you know, and I'm pretty convinced, I don't know about you, but I think it like really mirrors the dynamic that we are constantly in with each other, yeah. right? This like constant negotiation that you and I are so open about with each other of like, how much of this do we bring in? How much of this do we hold back? Kind of like, where do we intervene? Where do we not? You know, we are constantly in conversations, yeah. negotiating that line with each other. And like that energy trickles down too, where not only do we watch them negotiate this line with us, but we also watch them negotiate this line with each other. Yeah, exactly. Right? That energy like trickles down into the community. Yes. Yeah. I'm thinking of uh, this other intern of ours early on. She, so someone, one of the clinicians had brought some vegetables from her garden. She does this on occasion in the summers and had gifted a number of us different vegetables. And one of our interns, I think, is was negotiating this line of authenticity and connection and professionalism. And she decided, you know, she's taken a walk in our shoes. She decided she found a friend that she targeted and wanted to be friends with. Listen to our first episode if you want to hear the parallel between Steph and I on this. But she ID'd this person that she decided she wanted to be friends with. And so she walks up to her door and says, hey, can I touch your eggplant? <laughs> and this very kind clinician responded in a clinical way and was like, sure. Yeah. That's no problem. Yeah. And so our poor intern, already knowing she's like so deep in the muck she can't possibly get out, just tried to confidently follow through on her ass, grabbed the eggplant, gave it a good rub. <laughs> did she really? Yeah, she did. Put it back down. And then I think said something about, I'd like to be your friend. And once again, I spent quite a lot of time in supervision just trying to uh, support this exploration. Like that, yeah, getting into the muck is part of how we build relationships with each other. And, you know, I'll never forget that one. And for those of you who are interested in how we select our interns and how they get assigned, (laughs) we'll be covering that in a later episode. (laughs) Another thing I think about often from leading clinical groups is this theoretical idea that to build safety in a group, each member has to feel sufficient belonging and control. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that really frames how you and I lead in our community 
And there's really explicit ways that we do this. And then there's more kind of woven into the culture ways. I mean, you and I cover quite a spectrum in terms of how we do our work and how we present ourselves. Yeah, we're very different, you know, but I think in lots of ways, our strengths are really complementary. Yeah. I mean, that's always been really important to me, you know, in terms of this other unhealthy cultures I've been in professionally, sometimes there was this sense of like the right way of doing things and the wrong way of doing things, almost like an in-group, out-group. And just in the way you and I support each other in our similarities and differences, it's like, oh, there's no right way. Right. There's the you way. Right. Of doing things. Right. It has me thinking, you know, as you talk, Laura, about a more recent example. Well, it's not that recent, but more recent example with another clinician who had come to us, you know, about half a year after we opened. And she was a former intern of yours. So mm-hmm. we we knew her. We had some experience with her. And she came to us maybe six months into her time. And she was really concerned about her retention. She was really concerned about what she was doing wrong that was making it hard for her to retain clients or keep new clients. And how we might be thinking of her. And how we might be worried about that. That was a big concern, was that we were tracking that and we were worried about it. Yeah, and it's a nice example because there's some parallels to this early, uh, cringy example we gave earlier in the episode. And so I'm just trying to think about what we did differently here that was so much more aligned. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about this piece on control that you were talking about earlier. And, you know, I think a part of it was that we assume her belonging. Mm -hmm. And so we gave her a number of strategies and ideas that could enable her to have some control over how she decides to navigate this situation moving forward. Yeah. And I think the combination of those two things, you know, the reassurance that we were not judging her or trying to fit her into some sort of expectation that we had out of our own fear or need for control mm-hmm. was very settling and reassuring for her on top of her being able to walk away with some ideas of how she could start to tackle some of her retention questions in a way that was a lot more authentic and unique to her yeah. and that that was the thing we were supporting. Yeah. And and just to tie in another piece from this conversation, I I recall you and I starting with us. It was like, what have we missed along the way here that's led her to feel so alone in this for so long? I I think in some ways she was in quite a bit of distress for a while, worrying about what she was seeing in her calendar, worrying about our opinions. And so true to what we said earlier, we started with us. Like, how can we improve here? How can we make ourselves more approachable or make it feel safe enough to approach us when a clinician is struggling or feeling they need some guidance. And I think we said as much to her, like, yeah. you know, first of all, thank you for bringing this. Like that was really, we're so appreciative and so courageous. And, you know, second of all, how could we have done better to make this easier on you so that you wouldn't have had to wait so yeah. long the next time yeah. it happens? Yeah. And then we just gave her, you know, the the skills part is the easiest part. It's totally. like, here's some things we've learned over the years. Yeah about what helps. I think the stickiest part was the belonging and control. Like, are you going to turf me? Yeah. Because I'm struggling and how am I supposed to do it in your eyes in order to belong? And we tried to just slash through that, I think, with care and liberation for her. Yeah. And I mean, I think we have adopted that approach much more consistently. And, you know, the question when it comes up, it's like, something comes up and we're not sure what to do, the first thing we ask ourselves is like, what did we miss here? Yeah. 
where does our responsibility fall? Yeah. And I think that by taking that ownership of that and accountability for that piece, whatever it is, the safety of the community is preserved. Yeah. What I notice is it softens me. It can take me out of a like, oh, why isn't this thing happening the way it should? Me too. And when I start with me and us and it's like, okay, here's our piece in this whole thing. I come in with like humility and softness whenever we approach the issue head on. It's like, let's, we'll start. Let us start here with how we'd like to improve. And then you tell us how we can better support you. And, And I think that's the thing is like, they are constantly teaching us. The people who allow us to lead them are thankfully giving us feedback along the way about what they need more of, less of. Yeah. Yeah. And I think being open to it is the thing that has been our greatest teacher Thank for you. sure. I mean, and like, let's not mislead anyone here. Oftentimes something comes up, we go into an office, the door gets closed, and we have our reactions. Of course. Me, generally, course. like hot, usually, yeah. frustrated confused, like I get, uh, my initial reaction often is just like, why are things not going the way they're supposed to? That is generally my starting place. And we have a way of sparring through all of those things together um, to get to this place that's like, okay, no, this is about us having missed something. And like, what is this situation with this clinician or with this client or with whomever? What is this teaching us right now? And like, how do we take that learning back into the community so that it can be empowering? Yeah and not shaming or rupturing. Yeah, yeah, which is probably some of the implicit control. There's what's woven into the system is uh, what works for me. If I'm a clinician, what works for me is is right. right. And to some extent, I can trust these directors to support that. Right, right. And I mean, I think the, the unknown piece, the, you know, the piece that we're not really talking about here or we're here to talk about is this idea that like, that then trickles down to our clients. Yes. You know, and it offers us a lot of like trust yeah. in our clinicians that this is the energy that they're bringing when they sit with yeah. people who are suffering and, and coming in for help. Yeah. Okay, so we've said a lot. Yeah. We have said yeah. a lot here in this in this podcast. And I'm wondering, Laura, like if you had to distill everything that we have said here down into hmm. three takeaways, hmm. what would be like the key things that you would want our listeners to get? Yeah, I think if I was to distill it into three things, the first is this idea of first looking at the leadership person or team uh, to see how it reflects whatever problematic dynamic has been identified. And so, you know, for example, in our in our early story, my initial reaction might have been, I have to get this person to represent me well. I have to get them to change. So they represent me well. And that's such a fear response on my part. It's like, I'm so scared of X, Y, and Z. And so first I need to settle myself. In our case, connect with you, talk, name my fear, find a more supportive response. So it starts with us is kind of the first thing. The second thing I think is that for safety to build in a system or a group, there has to be control. Each person in the system has to feel like they have control and that they belong. Yeah. And then I think the third thing is that we have been learning to lead from our people. Yeah. That we have embraced them as our best teachers. We And I would say we continue to learn from them every day. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us for this conversation today. And we hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to A Not-So-Private Practice. 
Please be sure to follow us wherever you listen to podcasts and throw down a review if you are enjoying the show, as it helps other listeners find us. In real life, you can find Laura and Steph at www.anotsoprivatepractice.ca. A special thanks and shout out to Podfather Creative for producing and editing this episode. Bye.